following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Would you take a moment and pray with me as we dive into the Word together? Lord, we give you thanks that as we look at the world, you give us lenses to see clearly how we are to interact um, as your people. I pray today that in this time as we talk about tension, that you would show us what it means as your people to live in that place. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Um, In 2009, I was graduating college which doesn't seem that long ago until you host next-gen students at my house and everyone tells you, I was born then. And then it's not as much fun. Um, But in 2009, uh, I was graduating college and it was Cash for Clunkers. I don't know if you remember this program that was out there. You could turn in your beat-up car and it was this, you know, government-assisted getting new cars on the road. I'm not here to get political. You can think what you want about the program. I got a truck out of the deal, so it was great. We turned in uh, my uh, Dodge Dakota from 1988. Matt's out there complaining. No one minds. Um, So we traded in that truck, and I got a 2009 uh, Toyota Tacoma. Still sitting out. You can see it in the parking lot right now. But it was so great, and I love that truck, and it has been a huge blessing for me. But if you own a truck, you know all of a sudden you gained a lot of new friends. Because what happens is people find out you have a truck, and then they call you and go, hey, I know you have a truck, and i got to move this thing. So that truck bed has held couches and beds and random things, just if it can fit, and even sometimes if it doesn't fit, we transport it. And the blessing of transporting things over all these years is in all that time, I have only ever lost one load. And so, you know, I figure that's a good, you know, a good deal. We're doing okay. But the reason is because when I got the truck, one of the first things I went to Walmart and bought were ratchet strap tie-downs. And let me tell you, ratchet strap tie-downs are one of the best simple machine inventions of all time. Millie knows. Because because what a ratchet strap tie-down does is you just throw that sucker over, behind, wherever you need it, Pull it tight, and then you can ratchet it down so it goes even tighter. And there's one thing you have to do every time you put a ratchet strap on, is you go and you kind of flick it to make sure you go, yeah, that'll do. There's a temptation not to, but then you know if you start driving, immediately that tie-down is broken, it's flying away. You have to check and touch and make sure, because it's all based on tension. It is based on you getting enough tension between two tie-down points to hold things in place. And I was of this idea and mindset that I was like, I never want anything flying out of my truck. So one is good, two is better. So I have tied down all kinds of things and it's all based on tension. The one load I lost is because I lost 
tension. I put the tie-downs in the wrong spot, they slipped, and now they're no good. And a lot of times we think about tension as being something we don't want because we think about tension relationally. Right? We look at tension and go, I don't want tension between me and you. I want things to be great. Let's not get into that spot. And so we look at our lives and we go, let's live a life free of tension. Let's live a life free of those things. But what I would argue is that God actually gifts us the idea of tension as a way to understand the world. That as we've talked in this series about saying God gives us lenses through which we see the world so that we can see it clearer. So that it is less fuzzy. And tension almost seems to be the opposite of that. That we wouldn't want tension because how does tension make things clearer? Well, I'm going to say it's not the tension of relational tension, of arguing, of those kinds of things. No, it's the tension that holds things down, that you tighten and strap in so that you can feel what's going between the two. And so we get this gift of a theological tension, an outlook which helps us understand how God views our world so that then we too can put on those glasses and see in a way that He does. So as prepping for this sermon, I was like, what's a good way for us to understand tension together? And the woman at the well gives us a chance to look and to see how Jesus actually lives in this tension. How he looks and he encounters someone, and instead of just deciding who they are, what they are, what they're going to do, he lives in a tension that most people at his time are not doing, especially the religious leaders of his time. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through parts of this story. We're going to see some places where tension could arise. We're going to see how Jesus reacts. And then we're going to talk about what does that mean for us. So let's start here. John 4, 4. So we start in this section. Jesus is going through the countryside and it says, And he had to pass through Samaria. So Samaria is the the homeland of the Samaritans, of which you may know the story of the Good Samaritan, which was another option for today. But the Samaritan people were outcast from the rest of Jewish society. Later in this section, Jesus will be talking with the woman and talk about on this mountain or Jerusalem. There was a differentiation of opinion of where to worship God. And the Samaritans claimed a different place. So when he says this mountain, he's talking about the place they went to worship, which is why the Jewish people outcast them because they didn't come to Mount Zion, the temple in Jerusalem. And so as we see, they did not have dealings. So we see John 4, 7 through 9. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. So Jesus is waiting at this well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings 
with Samaritans. So this first place of tension we encounter is that Jesus is waiting at this well. He's traveling with his disciples. They've gone into town to buy some supplies, or they're going and gathering some things, and he is remaining at this well, and this woman comes up, and he begins talking to her. And this first place of tension, she recognizes and says, what dealings do you, a Jewish man, have with me, a Samaritan woman? Because you usually don't talk to us. We are usually the outcast. And it probably would have been kind of obvious that Jesus might have been a rabbi. So she not only knows that he is a Jewish man, but she sees, hey, not only are you a Jewish man, you are a teacher of Jewish people. But Jesus comes to her and says, would you pull me something to drink. So the first place we encounter that tension is in Jesus connecting with this Samaritan woman. If we move on to the next two verses, Jesus says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And I love these moments where Jesus has decided to teach people something and their brain just doesn't click, right? Where they're like, okay, you said living water, I, I want that, I'm down, but you don't even have a bucket. So how am I going to get that? I want it. And Jesus is out here talking in metaphor and they're like, yeah, no, 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 I want that living water. Give that to me. And so the woman now, we're in this tension of confusion, but the the tension continues from her being a Samaritan woman because how does Jesus teach his followers? Through parable, through metaphor, through understanding of what this might be. So everyone is gone, and here is Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. How many people at that time do you think wanted this opportunity? That when we see Jesus travel, he's got the 12, and then we know there's a group of disciples, which we know at least amounts somewhere between you know, 60 and 150 and so that crew is, is following him. And then wherever he shows up, the multitudes come. And he or she's getting one-on-one -on -one with the Savior. So Jesus has taken his time to talk to a Samaritan woman one-on-one. -on -one, and now he's giving her the teaching that he gives to his disciples. That not only has he deemed it worthy to talk to her. He deems her worthy to receive his teaching. So let's keep going. Jesus is hanging out, talking with her. They keep going back and forth. And then we get to John 4, 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right, saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, this is an incredible moment because this is Jesus going, all right, let me show you a little bit of what I can do, right? This is a miracle in and of itself that as he talks to her, Samaritan woman, teaching her as he teaches his followers, and now he calls her out. And he goes, all right, well, bring your husband here. Let's talk with him too. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And he goes, no, you don't. You've had five. Listen, think about that time 
And Jesus has just said that at the well, which is the gathering spot. Now, as we can understand, it's probably the two of them, so it's not like he's calling her out amongst others, but still it's this moment of him going, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five. A Samaritan woman who's being taught like the disciples, who everyone would look at and say, this is a sinful, promiscuous woman. And then Jesus does this in chapters 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. A Samaritan woman who he teaches like the disciples, who is living a lifestyle that is outside of the teachings of Scripture, and he looks at her and says, I am the Messiah. This is something he will reveal to his disciples very slowly. He will bring it out of them and say, who do you say that I am? He will build it up. And in fact, when Peter confesses it, that confession, he says, you are Peter. And on this, that confession that I am the Christ, that is what my church will be built upon. So here, he looks at this woman who he has no business being around, who every leader of the church at that time would have loved to have caught him with, and he says, listen, I am the Messiah. And he will tell her, listen, there is coming a time when we, the Jewish people, and you, the Samaritans, will be one and you will worship in spirit and in truth. And what we see is that Jesus lives in this tension. Jesus had every right to just sit by the side of the well and say nothing. Or even to walk away. That as he waited and a Samaritan woman approached, he could have walked away. He could have told her to leave. And instead, he engages with her. He spends the time with her. He teaches her. He has compassion on her when everything else would say he shouldn't do this. He will be accused of eating meals with sinners. That will be one of the things that the Pharisees and Sadducees will accuse him of, but he does that. He lives in that tension of being the Messiah while being among sinful people because he is showing that this is how life is. Now, he won't let the woman stay in where she is. He will call her to more. But the tension of encountering her and engaging her is one of tension. Is of a place where we go, how many of us would want to do that or how many of us would simply look down on another person? But Jesus goes to the well knowing it's not a perfect situation. But it's because he acknowledges and looks and goes, it's not a perfect world. And this tension he steps into is one that benefits her. None of this is benefit to him. A Samaritan woman with five husbands who he shouldn't be teaching. 
But he takes that time. He engages with her. It's easy for us to look at the world in black and white. We know that Scripture holds truth for us. We know that it tells us and gives us so many incredible things about how we are to follow God about how we are to be his disciples. It tells us and gives us sexual ethic. It gives us morality. It gives us generosity. It gives us all of these things as we follow God. And sometimes what can happen is then we don't want to live in the tension of others. We say, this is how God told us to live. We have to live like this. And so everyone else is other. But what we see Jesus doing is that he lives in tension. He encounters people not where he wants them to be, but where they are. And what's amazing is as he encounters them where they are, he changes them. And they become who he has called them to be. Because this is not the only story in Scripture of this happening. We look at just the lineage and uh, genealogy of Jesus. If you go through that genealogy, there are some bad folks in there. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer. Solomon began the process of pulling the people of Israel away from God as he allowed outside influence and outside gods to grab their attention. Ruth was a foreigner. But these are all people in the lineage of the Savior. Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He loved climbing sycamore trees. He was a tax collector. No one liked him. But Jesus points up and goes, hey, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house. We're going to eat lunch. And what happens? Zacchaeus becomes a man who repays his debts to others. Because he looks at them and Jesus sees not where they are and who they are. He sees people that are created that he then seeks to redeem. Look at the disciples. They were a bunch of chumps, right? Peter will deny Jesus. There will be discussion about who gets to sit on his right. They have that argument in front of him. Jesus, who's your favorite? We see throughout Scripture that Jesus encounters people and lives in the tension of not who he wants them to be, but who they are. So often, we can get caught up in an idea of wanting people to be better before we spend time with them. The way this was taught to me is the idea of saying we want people to behave like we want them to, then they will believe in God and then they can belong to our community. But everywhere Jesus goes, we see that he helps people belong. And as they belong, he works in their lives. They believe in him, right? This confession of the Messiah. They believe in who he is. 
and then their lives are changed. They begin behaving in the ways of Christ. And it's not perfect. We talked last week about justification and sanctification as a lens for us to see the world, that we are saved and redeemed people, and because of that, we grow. And so as we live in this tension, it helps us to understand how Jesus views us and how we are called to view others. How we live in our differing societies. That the church of Christ exists here in Round Rock and across the world. And so every society is differing. So how do all of us as Christians live in these differing cultures and societies that are so different from the ways of God? Well, we say we live in tension. We live in this place where we understand how God has called us to be and His ways. Tension is this. Tension helps us see the world through God's eyes. Last week we talked about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes we lose that sight and we want to live in a place where there's no tension, where, where it's easy. Because tension, if you were to go out and help me load the truck and we threw those ratchet straps on, tension is an intense thing. I've almost broken some couches. Because I'm like, this thing's going to be secure. It's not going to move. And then you start hearing some wood crack and you go, oh, oh loosen that a little. Tension isn't always easy. But what we see is the example that Jesus gives us. That for us, the gift is that our salvation is secure. And if that truth is alive in our life, we can look at the world and interact with it in such a way that says, there are people and others who don't agree with me, who don't agree with my beliefs, who don't see the truth of Scripture. But I will live in the tension that says, I am not the one who transforms them. Jesus is. I am not the one who changes them, even though I pray that God would use me in life to do that, to work alongside of Him. And let me tell you, in the world we're living in, I'm stealing this phrase from Larry Wright. He texted it to me this week. I'm just stealing all kinds of like, just keep giving me sermon illustrations. This is two weeks in a row. It helps me. But we were talking, Larry and I texted about something, and he goes, the tension is tight. And I said, I'll owe you a quarter, but I'm going to be using that all the time. It will be tough sometimes. But what we want to grow in and see and rejoice in is the good news of Jesus for us. That as we live in this world, we can live in tension. And it's not always easy but it's lenses that we put on that we can view the world. That as Jesus approached that ancient well in Samaria and saw a woman approaching, instead of seeing what the world saw, he saw someone who God wanted to save. And so for us, as we put on this lens of tension, we can say, Lord, let me live in that place where everything may not be pretty and perfect, but I live in the tension of your word. That it is constantly calling me to more. That it is taking my viewpoint 
and your viewpoint and pulling things taut. I love here that Jesus talks about spirit and truth, right? We're not just worshiping only in truth. We're not worshiping only in spirit. Instead, it's a tension of both, that those two things make us stronger, that as we live and worship in tension in the beauty of who God is, it teaches us more and more about what it means to follow Him. And we rejoice because sometimes we convince ourselves that maybe we're not the woman at the well. But I'll tell you what, this week I needed confession absolution. It was a gift to sit in the back and let Matt lead it so I could be a part of it this week. Because sometimes I just need that in my soul. Because what tension teaches us at the end of the day is that our Savior is good. That we can hold things in tension because we don't hold the end. He does. And so we put those lenses on to view the world not as black and white, but as this tension of where God is taking us until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, tension is not easy, but you give us examples time and again of people who we wouldn't expect who end up following you. Lord, let us live in a tension where we find joy in inviting people into community so they can experience you and come to know you more. That, Lord, they would see the joy of following you in daily life. Thank you for that gift you give to us every minute, every hour, every day. In your son, Jesus' name, amen.